Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. I have quite a full-on episode for you today. Our topic today is all about deity offerings, but it's about to get real deep because we are talking about the different forms of deities. So the celestial and underworld deities and the specific offerings to each one and how it all works. I feel like I've gone real deep on the Greek Hellenic history today, but I'm thinking, hoping you will find it interesting. It gets pretty dark at points, but bear with me. I think you will find out quite a few things in relation to how and why we offer up certain things to our deities and how to work along these lines today. Without further ado, let's get into our book review So today I've been a bit naughty and brought to the table a book that I discovered at the time of working on the Familiars episode. It was in the witchy section of my local bookshop. I felt really drawn to it and I'm pleased I did because it taught me a lot, especially in mental health and I think it might help us all. So most witches have an affinity with nature. We are seen as its protectors Many of us feel that being in nature is our own form of church. So I have touched on this before and I don't want to bore you with all my old crap, but I am a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Wow, I don't think I've ever said that on the show. For me, much of that abuse that I did to myself was stemmed from depression and anxiety. So many alcoholics and addicts often say in sobriety that they notice more of the little things in life once they get sober. One of the main ones I found is the birds singing in the morning. I've heard many other addicts say the same because when you're in addiction, you usually want them to shut up because you're hungover or you're just getting to sleep after a a bender. However, in recovery, you start to wake up earlier, you're bright, you're fresh, your mind is clearer. And little things like the birds singing for me were just, wow, like nature really made itself apparent to me even more so. Anyway, to cut a long story short, this book literally talks all about one lady's connection to nature across the course of a year and how it helps in relation to her depression This resounded with me so much, even if you're not a recovering addict or, you you know, if you don't suffer from depression, it's just how to get out into your own environment and what to look out for. It explains what nature is doing and, you know, how you can weave that into your craft too. So the book is called The Wild Remedy, How Nature Mends Us, a diary written by Emma Mitchell. 
It's hand illustrated. It contains loads of beautiful drawings and photographs of flowers, animals, shells, feathers, insects, all manner of things from nature. And if you are following on from last week's episode, creating or working on your own grimoire and flowers and fauna and familiars are your thing, this book would give you the most beautiful inspiration for what to add to yours, has influenced me on how to work on my own. If I'm honest, this book has encouraged me to stop underestimating the landscape on my doorstep. So to actually get out there and take note of what I see, the magic in nature, also makes me realize how happy I feel when I'm aware and connecting with nature too. I don't say this as a green witch, I believe everyone benefits from nature's influence. Emma Mitchell in this book looks at the different seasons and their effects on us. She looks to the science behind these changes and delves into how research shows how our minds respond to plants and wildlife when we do venture outdoors. So at one point in her book, she is so down she doesn't venture out for a few weeks. She puts loads of bird feeders out into her garden and she delves into the effect of her having a really bad episode how the effect of observing the birds and the different types and their hierarchy really helped in that period of time. The book isn't depressing by any means, despite her documenting her episodes. She writes about them in a way that I feel anyone who may have struggled with sadness, depression or anxiety could feel comfortable and reassured by knowing that we all experience similar emotions. It's beautifully written and I inhaled it. Like I'm literally hyperventilating because I'm so excited about it. I just couldn't put it down. And I've never been someone to actually appreciate nature books or documentaries, anything of that ilk, mainly because I'm such a melt and I get I get upset if anything gets killed, even though that's nature's way. And I know I need to honor and respect that, especially working within the craft. So I also learned a lot more about trees, different types of plants, birds, butterflies, animals, and insects. I'm just gonna read you a little section from her book that explains her journey. This is a book about what I see when I venture outside our cottage over the course of a year, both on days when the effort needed to do so seems too much to surmount, and when all is well, and the sunshine and bird song call to me. None of the sightings I describe are terribly unusual. There are no close encounters with golden eagles and I don't make friends with a Scottish wildcat. Apart from a tiny orchid that I shinned up a hill to find, the species I write about in this book are relatively common and many can be seen in urban parks. I've written about how standing among a carpet of jewel-like autumn leaves, finding some newly emerged catkins or spotting a sparrow hawk skimming across a stubble field can bring solace. As the novelist Alice Walker wrote, I understood at a very early age that in nature, I felt everything I should feel in church, but never did. Bosh, I love that statement. I've seen that before, I absolutely love it. So in conclusion, you do not need to live in the middle of the countryside to appreciate the wildlife in this book, but if you do want to strengthen your connection or draw upon the medicinal properties of being in nature, you will love this book. Again, it's not strictly a witchy book. But my witchy little heart loved it. And I think that you might too. 
So Emma does have a brilliant Instagram page too. If you don't think the book is for you, or you just want to see more on what she talks about, it's at Silver Pebble too. And that's, I'm laughing because I get so excited sometimes doing the show that I have to like make myself breathe. It's so stupid. Honestly, I get so carried away. So <laughs> her Instagram is, it's so yeah, it's at Silver Pebble 2, S-I-L-V-E-R-P-E-B-B-L-E 2, professional as always. Join me after the break to talk all about Uranic and Chthonic deities. Welcome back. So let's talk all about deities and offerings. So the practice of making offerings and sacrifices to the gods was a really important part of religions. It acted as a bridge between the gods and spirits and humans. Some modern witches opt to not make similar offerings to those historically made, for example, food, drinks or symbolic items, seeing it as a waste of materials However, there are metaphysical and symbolic meanings behind offerings. So Xenia was a pillar of ancient Greek customs and morality. The word loosely translates to mean hospitality. You had to treat your guests kindly and guests had to respect their hosts. This is even shown in the myths. It was extended to kings because you never know when your guest is a god in disguise. Zeus, in his role as a god of kings and justice, was charged with looking after Xenia and punishing those who violated it. So making offerings to the gods and goddesses is seen as a way of inviting the deities and their presence into your home and life. In essence, you are asking for their attention and to work with them. So it's almost like a conversation starter. The offering revolves around the principle of give and take. So if you are a witch who works with deities, it is seen that they provide us with many blessings in return for the small offerings we provide to them. It's really a form of gratitude and respect and has also been seen as a way to gain their favour. So I make food, drink, flowers, candles, incense offerings to the two deities I work with. Many witches do still use this within their devotion. This is also a practice still used to this day in voodoo, Santeria, Hinduism, many Asian religions too. It is said that by leaving offerings, the gods or spirits that you may work with are nourished metaphysically. So they take the essence or energy of the offerings you provide them with and this gives them energy to assist their devotees. It has long been believed that offerings and sacrifice connect the two worlds of both the devotee and the world of the gods and spirits. So dating back to Hellenic Greece, there were two forms of offerings and sacrifices, Oranic and Chthonic. You're going to hear those two words about a million times today, so buckle up. Oranic offerings were seen as food that was blessed by the gods. So a small part of the meal would be given to the gods, usually through throwing it into the fire. The worshippers then ate part of the offerings too. So offerings could be made through large parties, dinners or celebrations of devotees 
or just one person eating alone, giving a portion of their food to the gods. Cophonic offerings were given to gods in their entirety. So these offerings were apotropaic, so offered to gods and spirits of the underworld in like a bid to appease them, avert evil, remove harm or negative events. These offerings would be left whole for the gods and spirits. They wouldn't want to get in contact with the essence, the energy of these gods and spirits directly. Also because of the miasma connecting the offerings to the spirits, the gods that they're trying to get rid of. So miasma literally translates to mean pollution. It describes the lingering aura of uncleanliness in regards to a person or space through which contact is made with these gods. So miasma was said to occur when the space or person comes into contact with death, sickness, birth, sex, excessive negative emotions and bodily fluids. I have to say bodily fluids way more than I'd like to on this show. Birth and death, especially as these acts open up the way to the underworld. So cophonic offerings were usually made outside of the city walls or started within like within the city walls but the rites would end outside of them so to keep them as far away from the people as possible so apotropaic offerings consisted of and you've probably seen a lot of these in lists of offerings that i've said or that you can make to your own deity so garlic eggs onions Also, black dogs were often used in these rites, so the dog would be connected to the miasma or the negative influences that escalated quickly, like garlic, eggs, onion, black dogs. Um, So the dog would be connected to the miasma or the negative influences. They would be killed to get rid of these influences. So these dogs were left as sacrifices in their entirety for the gods. This sounds really strange to us now. Like I said, it escalated quickly. But for the people then, this was commonplace. So that's why you often see the offerings to Hecate were black dogs. She, of course, straddles between being both an Oranic and a Chthonic deity. So she's a really good example to give. So offerings, even up to this day that we offer her, work across the two. So Hecate is viewed as more of a cophonic goddess due to her links to the underworld, witchcraft and necromancy. There are many accounts of her being made cophonic sacrifices and offerings. So Hecate has strong Uranic aspects too. Most altars that were found throughout history that were dedicated to Hecate were Uranic altars. So it is seen that she was worshipped akin to how many Oranic gods were, although she was offered dogs in the form of apotropaic sacrifices. She was also offered normal like animal sacrifices too in the form of an Oranic offering, so a shared meal for the worshippers. But she did, after all, have influence and power after like many different realms, like the underworld, earth, sea, sky. 
Oranic deities cannot, like they will not come into contact with the underworld as they must remain pure and untainted. If a worshipper was tainted with miasma, it is said that they had to clean themselves of it through a process called catharmos. So the most usual method of this was to apply kernips. Never heard some of these words before. Not turnips, kernips, K-H-E-R-N-I-P-S. Could you imagine if you had to apply turnips? So these are created by, I'm sorry, I'm so unprofessional today. (laughs) These are created by dropping smoldering incense or herb leaves I'm still thinking about turnips, sorry. Professional, Carly, professional. Um, So, okay, so the most usual method that worshippers had to like cleanse themselves was to use, was to apply kernips. So these are created by dropping smouldering incense or herb leaves into fresh or salt water. So preferably seawater or spring water, depending on which one they chose. So you then wash your face, I'm glad that we're not washing our face with turnips, and hands with kernips. It is said that by sharing food with these deities, you would be declaring that you share a home with the dead. So, you know, if you did actually do a cophonic, like work of a cophonic deity, and you shared the food like you would in an organic right, then yeah, you're basically saying like, I'm with you kind of thing. So in a nutshell, organic offerings were shared consumed offerings, chthonic offerings were offered in their entirety, so complete. But to make it really complicated, some gods got both kind of offerings. So, you know, for example, Hecate did. Oranic deities are those that can be found above the earth and cophonic deities are below the earth, so the underworld. Oranic means celestial and refers to any deity that can be found above the earth's surface. The Greeks often referred to heaven as the god's abode. So Oranic gods can be directly referred to with their actual names or epithets that add on to their name like a title. So for example, Hecate's epithets include like guardian, gatekeeper and guide. However, she is also known like known to go by epithets such as mistress of corpses, eater of men's hearts, one of my favorite pastimes. Lol. With the shared food and drinks offerings that were made, it was sometimes seen that, in a sense, you were invoking the divine through eating some of the food that you'd be sharing with them. So as Oranic deities are seen to be above earth and ultimately in the, like in the heavens, incense was a favoured offering as it would rise up into the air. So most offerings to or like Oranic gods were burnt as the smoke is said to rise to Mount Olympus to reach the Theoi. So I hope I've pronounced that correctly. I've like been working on it. Theoi is Greek for God and libations offered would usually be diluted wine with water or just like water alone. So Oranic deities are also referred to as Olympians. So ancient Hellenic altars for the Oranic gods would be set high up off the ground 
And Oranic themed festivals tend to be much lighter in tone, like with a measure of festivity. They would be conducted at temples within the city limits. Sacrifices and offerings were made during the daylight hours of the festival day and worshippers would stand for the sacrifice and hold their hands raised high. This makes me think of Biggie Smalls, like throw your hands in the air if you're a true player. Anyway. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sorry, Oranic deities. So I had to lighten the mood a little bit. I'm loving this, but I also feel like I'm bordering on a secondary school history lesson. And I don't want to do that to you, which is... So with the animal sacrifices that they made, the animal will be slaughtered and the blood offered up to the gods. Afterwards, the animal was prepared and cooked and then eaten by the worshippers during the festival, after the rite or during the rite. The animal would never be wasted. It wasn't viewed as a cruel act, though, to kill an animal to make a sacrifice in those times, as it was viewed that the animal was given to them by the gods. So the slaughtering would be carried out in the name of the god or goddess. The animal would be treated respectfully. I don't even know why I need to say this because they didn't condone like factory farming on a mass level in those days, but I won't start going into that. Animals were just treated completely different. No waste was made. And for many common people, this would have been the only time that they actually ever got to eat meat. So cophonic literally means earthly or subterranean cophonic deities and spirits were said to dwell in the underworld and the ancient greeks wouldn't directly call on cophonic deities using their real names for fear of calling on death being brought to the underworld or for the fear of confusing the deity so instead they would address these deities by their epithets and most greek gods have many The epithets that they would use would be used to make them sound less scary and more helpful to humanity, whereas there are Oranic deities who have darker epithets, so it's a bit of a reversal, the way that they were used. Epithets were also used out of respect, devotion and practicality. It's seen as a more respectful way to address the gods, demonstrates that you know the aspects they influence and the various names they go by. Epithets also come in handy because you may be working with a deity for different means and many deities rule over various different domains. So an example, Zeus guards travellers in his epithet of Zeus Xenios, 
but he is seen as the bringer of storm clouds in his epithet of Zeus Ombrius or Ombrios. So if you don't want it to rain on your journey, you would want to ensure you use the correct epithet. So with the Chthonic deities, there was no point in making offerings such as incense. They wouldn't be offered to them as it was pointless due to it rising up in the sky. When they made offerings to Chthonic deities, the Greeks would often hit the ground or knock onto it to get their attention when speaking to them or praying for anything because they believed that the Chthonic gods have trouble hearing us being so far below in the underground. So offerings made to Chthonic gods would usually be burnt or buried. Offering pits were called bothos. They would have been traditionally used and favoured offerings would be offered up at night and would consist of black animals, wine that wasn't watered down or water, milk and honey. Animal sacrifices were called holocaustos. That's a really upsetting word to me and many of you, I imagine. So I am sorry for that. This was a sacrifice where the entire animal was burned and none of the meat was saved for human consumption. So Homer in the Odyssey wrote to Circe advising Odysseus how to perform a libation for the dead. Draw near then as I bid you, hero, and dig a trench two feet square, then pour a libation all around to the dead, first of milk and honey, then of sweet wine, thirdly of water, sprinkled with white barley meal. So altars for chthonic offerings would have been low to the ground. Prayers would have also been carried out kneeling, looking down, facing the palms of hands to the ground. This is also when they would have struck the ground to get the gods' attention. For women in rituals, they would wear their hair up or covered for Oranic rituals, but for Chthonic rituals, they would keep their hair down. So worship of the Chthonic was reserved for the real special occasions such as vengeance, death, purification. Some gods that mixed Chthonic and Oranic could have mixed rites held in their names. So to give you an example, it would have been a rite that was held perhaps during daylight hours the sacrifice was given on a raised altar but would be performed outside of the city walls to represent the chthonic element. It could be a holocaustos sacrifice, so a burnt animal, but there could be celebrations in the form of a feast afterwards. So the sacrifice would be sombre and gloomy, but, you know, the day ended with good food, gifts for the kids, so we're opening a door to the underworld without worrying about the burden of the miasma and the kids get a party bag at the end. Information on all of this varies greatly. So please don't at me if you've seen anything different. Like I truly delved into the rabbit hole on this. I outlined what seemed most plausible and repeated and most of the sites I visited even said that the lines are so blurred when it comes to the deities and their worship. But it's also worth noting that even for the Hellenic Greeks, these lines wouldn't have even existed and they would have likely changed for each generation. So the point I'm trying to make is that the two groupings of the deities aren't as clear cut as we would like. 
There are the deities that can walk the divide of both Oranic and Chthonic. So an example is Hecate, Persephone, who splits her year between the underworld, the rest of the time with her mother on the earth. You also have like Zeus, Artemis, Hermes, who can make the journey down to the underworld, Hades, who can make the journey up. Essentially, there was a lot of flexibility within the ancient Hellenic ways of honoring both the Chthonic and Oranic deities. So they created loopholes and reasons within how they carried out these rites based on what they felt was right. But I feel like that's at the heart of witchcraft and how I like to practice my craft anyway. So one of the things I always struggled with was the offering side in regards to working with deities. I am covering quite a lot on this in my book. So in regards to finding your deity, how to offer devotion, how to work with them on offerings. I'm just gonna outline for you some typical offerings that were traditionally made. I'm gonna do this giving Hecate as an example because she works across both Oranic and Chthonic offerings. However, you will find that this is the same for many of the deities that would have been both. I will try to stipulate which is Oranic, which is Chthonic, but some of it will be a bit self-explanatory after this, you know, today's episode anyway. The offerings, like I say, they would have been like the same across the board, but have a look at your specific deity. You will easily be able to find out which of the two they are or if they obviously straddle the two. So traditional offerings for Hecate would have been bread, honey, cheese. So Hecate was sometimes depicted with a goat's head, so they would sometimes use goat's cheese. Olive oil was a standard chthonic offering. Wine, as I said before, watered down for Aaronic deities and as it comes for chthonic. Sesame seeds, they were an apotropaic offering. Various different cakes. Cakes are always good. So different types of cakes they had. So a semeta was a sacrificial cake that they would offer up. There's another called a majid. It was a type of loaf or cake, but not much on the type, like what it looked like or anything. And there's another cake called basunius. So fruits, milk, this was another standard offering to chthonic deities. Goat's milk would often be used. Eggs. Onions, a traditional apotropaic offering. Garlic, again, another apotropaic offering. And this has also been a traditional protection from the restless dead since ancient Egypt. There's a cheesecake that they had with candles around it, which was called a amphitheon and barley, either as a grain or baked into cakes. You've also got fish, these were sacrificial, mullet was particularly sacred, and of course, different animals. So you may decide to add a libation bowl to your altar. So this is just a bowl you feel worthy for your deity. You might want to cleanse and bless it on your deity's behalf before you add it to your altar. So coming back to the purity, the cleanliness side, one of the first most important things for worshippers to remember obviously was purity when it came to the rites, which is why you always see it said that you should clean yourself up before you start any ritual or spell work, especially if you work with the deities. This, in a sense, harks back to that. 
So when you come to making your offerings, you could add the items to your libation bowl. And it said that you should let your deity know you are offering these up to them. If you're making oranic offerings, you might opt to eat some of the food with your deity. So you could give them the first part of your offering. You then eat some, then give them the last part. If you offer up cophonic offerings, obviously don't eat or drink these. Give them to your deity complete. So allow the offerings to remain on your altar, be it that they're oranic or chthonic. Once you're done, it is said that you could either bury them outside, burn them, pull them onto the ground. You could even leave them on a crossroads, providing it is not harmful for animals to eat. But I'm not going to lie, I struggle with this last part. I've emptied out almond soya milk into my tiny garden I have, and you know, you can bury fruits and so on, but... Sometimes it's got to be in the bin or food recycling. Don't get too caught up on this aspect. You know, we can't be perfect when it comes to the craft. If you burn candles for your deity, you could always anoint your candles with the oils that they like as an offering. You could add honey or herbs. You could add oils that you've infused with other herbs too. It's also good to understand which epithets of your deity that you want to address when you're working with them. So in essence, which aspects that you could honour them for and related offerings linked to that epithet as well. So if you wanted to connect with your deity's darker side, you could give them cophonic offerings that you leave in their entirety, like in their entirety. If you focus on their more benign aspects, make oranic offerings and share the food with them. Within witchcraft or necromancy, for example, if you work with Hecate, you could offer up in your rituals honey, oil or milk to her and the spirits. She is, after all, the mistress of spirits. So, I mean, like on a new moon that just passed, I offered up oranic offerings of grapes, almond seeds, almond soya milk. I don't actually give oranic offerings in the sense of sharing them. I've always offered them up in a cathanic, like in that sense of not actually eating anything or touching it. I leave them whole because I feel too nervous as it is of pissing either Hecate or the Morrigan off. But this is because when I first started making them offerings, I wasn't aware that you could share your offerings with them. So I feel a little bit cheeky now starting to eat their food that I've left for them after all this time. So I'm not going to dare do that. And just here and there, you know, if I'm doing rituals or spell work or just really want to truly check in with them, I will carry out nighttime rituals where I offer like larger food offerings. Currently, my daily practice is oranic because I speak to them during early hours, during like using daylight. I burn incense. I burn candles when I check in with them every morning. So you might want to look into your specific deities. Were they oranic? Were they chthonic? You might want to look into the different types of offerings or different epithets you might want to use to address them and ask them for their help with different needs. This episode isn't me saying change anything you're doing. I think it helps to understand why certain types of foods were offered, certain drinks, Also for me, if anything, just finally understanding the black dog sacrifices. When I got to that part, you know, when I found out about this a little while back, it did make a lot of sense to me. I always kind of thought, why black dogs? 
you know, why. Anyway, the main thing I believe is that it helps to know as much as you can about your deity overall to build a better picture of them and as a result connection. So I hope today's episode didn't make you feel like you were in a history lesson for that. Honestly, I was terrible at school, total dropout. However, if you'd have thrown Hellenic Greek history at me that included witchcraft, I would have been all over it. Before I wrap up the show, I just wanted to let you know about a little project that I've started up that you might want to get involved in. So from September, I am starting up a witch book club. And at this point, it is going to be called the Witches Literary Coven. So the idea is that we have a set book for each month that we all read and share our ideas and feedback on it throughout the month be that on the show or through some form of forum. We can use Instagram, Facebook. I'm still working on that right now, but I will have some confirmed information for you soon. I'm in talks with authors of some of the books that I think look good, discussing with them their contribution to this in any way that they feel could be helpful. So considering Instagram lives, or we could do like an extra podcast episode, talking all about their book and the information in it, answering any questions that you might have on it that you can send to me, just connecting us with the authors of these books and with each other, really. I know not like not everyone is going to want to get involved with this, but if you do, I will give you plenty of time to see which book is up for the forthcoming month so you can decide if you want to opt in or not. I will only ever choose books that I genuinely want to read myself. They won't be books that I've already read. They will be new to me too. So it will be completely unbiased. So if I hate it, you might hate it too. Like, you know that I haven't already read it. (laughs) If you do want to get involved in that, either come and follow me over on Facebook, which is The White Witch Company, or over on Instagram at The White Witch Company, or join me on my website, So sign up on www.thewhitewitchcompany.co.uk. You can sign up for updates. You'll obviously get information through in regards to the book club, but you will also have a monthly newsletter, updates on any witchiness that's coming up. So I'm also working on a blog post right now. This outlines every book we have covered on the show so far. So you can see what's already been read I will also put on there my top faves out of it that we've reviewed so you know which ones are my preference if you opt to buy any. Book loving can be so expensive, so don't forget to check your library for witchcraft books. Our library has just reopened. I did a little online search and I managed to borrow Crafts by Gabriella Herstick and Awaken the Witch by Pamela Grossman. So also another witchy book that I'm going to be reviewing on our next episode that I really love. And all of these books were brand new. And for a little seaside town that I live in, I think that's actually saying something. It's pretty impressive. So if you live in a bigger town than me, you are probably going to be much luckier than me on that front. Also, if you request books, some libraries will even buy them in. Or if you live in a big county, they can order them in from other libraries in the region. Libraries should start paying me for this, but no, I'm joking. Although the world isn't at full capacity right now, when it's back up and running, it is worth remembering that I've had so many books through my library. Also check out Amazon Prime, three reads too. 
if you subscribe for their TV shows, their deliveries, I know there's a couple on there that are of interest to me. I've just picked up a free one called The Hedgewick Book of Days. So once again, oh, I don't really know how to say thank you to you for all your amazing reviews. I'd love to post some of the reviews that you posted me because they're so gorgeous. Honestly, I work on my own for 100% of my week. It's just me and my dog and my cat for about 80% of my life, my weird little life, the weird little introvert that I am. But your reviews just make me feel so happy, blown away. Honestly, like I feel so supported, feeling the witchy love. So if you feel cool to leave me a review, I'm really grateful. And if you've ever left me a review, thank you, thank you. You are in my gratitude list daily. I'm getting a bit emotional, but thank you. No, I am actually getting a bit emotional. I'm really excited and hyper on the episode today. Just, I don't know, but yeah, thank you. That is all from me for this week, witches. Thank you for listening to the terrible pronunciation of all that, all those Greek words. Have a great week. Sending you lots of witchy love. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.